Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Church. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob as well. We thank you, Father, this morning that you are indeed worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And that for all of eternity is heaven cries holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We thank you, Father, that we can join with the song of heaven this morning. And I thank you, Father, that you are moving in this place to restore that which is broken, broken hearts, broken minds, broken bodies, that you are releasing restoration this morning. And we thank you, Father, this morning that deliverance is in the house, that healing is in the house, that miracles are in the house, And that, Father, at the public proclamation of your word, that we would experience your word alive to us this morning. I thank you, Father, that the anointing that makes preaching easy is in the room this morning. And I thank you, Father, that as we open your word, that it would be alive to us, that I might communicate that which is on your heart this morning. We glorify you, God. And we thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke of bondage. And we thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. If you will, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. Continuing our uh, series Positioned. We're going to wrap up our series this morning, Positioned, uh, with part five, the throne of God. Ephesians chapter two, verse one says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you were in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that is where we've been for the last five weeks, this being the fifth week. We've been talking out of Ephesians chapter 2 about being seated with Christ. And I want to draw a picture this morning, and it begins with one of the most powerful concepts. And so I want to turn to our second passage this morning, which is Isaiah chapter 6. If you will, flip over in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to examine a powerful picture. I want to draw a picture for us this morning out of Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. 
Seraphim were standing above him, each having six wings, with two each covered his face, and with two each covered his feet, and with two each flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then I said, Woe to me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and atonement is made for your sin. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Unfolding before us is a magnificent, and for Isaiah anyway, a terrifying sight. I mean, this picture in vision form, Isaiah is taken into the very throne room of God. Clearly, he's in the temple of the Lord, and he sees the Lord seated on the throne, and there are creatures called seraphim above him. Seraphim in the Hebrew means fiery ones. And so we have these, these, these seraphim. In other scriptures, it's used fiery serpents sent by God. The seraphim were used by God as instruments to inflict on people God's judgments. So this terrifying picture is, is happening here. You know, we, we sing these songs. I've heard it sung for years. I saw the Lord seated on the throne. This is a terrifying moment for Isaiah. It's beautiful for us, the reader, as we're reading Isaiah 6. It's beautiful in the song that's sung. But I mean, here is Isaiah caught up in this vision, and he sees the Lord seated on the throne. And so with God are these two seraphim. And the picture that we're given is that of 50 feet bonfires. I mean, this huge fire around the throne of God, roaring so loud that fear is instilled in your heart as you realize that you have no control in this moment. And this is where Isaiah is caught up. He's caught up into this place and he's seen this terrifying vision and then praise erupts in the middle of this vision. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the noise and the impact of the voice that comes forth is such that the very foundations of the place that Isaiah finds himself in shakes like an earthquake. I mean, we talk about this beautiful picture and we talk about Isaiah 6. Oh, we all want these Isaiah 6 moments. This is terrifying. You know, we, we live in such an hour, I think, such an hour where people talk about encounters with the angelic and it's, I mean, people say they go to heaven every day and all these things are, are being, you know, propagated in the charismatic world. Oh, I was caught up to heaven and I saw a Ferris wheel. I mean, the, the absolute nonsense that is out there. It is a terrifying thing to be caught up into the presence of the Lord. It is a terrifying thing. 
And Isaiah is caught up here, and the sound alone shakes the foundations of where he's standing. So loud that fear is instilled. Smoke fills the temple, and it says fear. He's afraid. He says, woe to me. I'm, I'm ruined. Another translation says, I'm a man undone. The, the Hebrew there has this connotation. I am so shaken to my core, I don't know if I'll ever recover. That's what an encounter with the Lord should do for us. It should shake us to our core that we are unsure if we will ever be the same again. And the reality is we never should be the same again after an encounter with the Lord. The realization that at any time, because of the magnificence and the power of this place, that these seraphim could instantaneously incinerate him. I mean, it's not just that Isaiah sees the Lord seated on the throne. There's these creatures with six wings above the throne, full of flames. As I said, one description of them is fiery serpents. I mean, we have all these people who talk about these little angels, you know, who play harps. That is not what Scripture describes. I mean, it is a fearful thing. I've seen angels a few times, and let me be, tell you, it is not a fun thing. It's not just this glorious, oh, an angel came in and played a harp. No, I was shaken to my core. I want to say to you that I believe the fear of the Lord is returning to the church. I believe the Lord is causing the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. If you need wisdom in this hour, get the fear of the Lord. The, 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 the camps that are saying all these, I, I, I'm sorry, I have to just be honest. All of this, this stuff that's out there about, you know, I, I saw Michael Jackson in heaven and I saw this in heaven and I saw that. It's nonsense because when we come to Scripture, it is a fearful thing to come into the presence of the living God. It is a fearful thing. And so in this chapter, in this section where we're reading he says, I'm ruined. I, I recognize I'm about to be incinerated. That's what he's saying here. I recognize I'm about to poof and be gone. And then one of the seraphim flies to him. And can you imagine being in the throne room of God, seeing what you've just seen, being shaken to your core, and now one of these fiery things is flying to you? I'd be looking for the exit. Pastor Anna tells a story that one time she was laying in our bed in California. I, I wasn't in the house. I was at work. And she was laying there before the Lord. And all of a sudden, this sound came into the room. She said it sounded like a helicopter. And she felt like the Lord said, reach up. She was too afraid. She wouldn't do it. And so then she said, I had this thought. Well, maybe the Lord wants to heal my teeth. So she opened her mouth, and that wasn't what the Lord wanted to do. He wanted to catch her up. And this, she said it was so fearful. 
It caused her to tremble. I believe that we're coming into an hour church of some Isaiah 6 moments that are going to shake the church. We better get ready to shake, rattle, and roll because God's visiting the church with a holy terror. But this is what happens, and we'll get to it later in the message. When he has this encounter, the seraphim flies to him. He puts the fire to his mouth. He puts this coal And the relief that God brings to the seraphim would have been overwhelming. No wonder that in verse 8 when the question is asked, because this is what happens, who will we send for us? Isaiah says, send me. Because when we have an encounter with the Lord, we cannot help but say, here am I. I will do what you ask me to do. I will go where you say to go. I have a desire to get out and tell everybody what I've experienced. I've come into the presence of the holy and the living God. I'm a man undone and I need other people to get undone with me. Because we're in an hour church where we cannot just sit back and say, Oh, I'm having encounters with the Lord. No, encounters with the Lord will draw us to something and for something. Do you hear me this morning, church? The throne room of God. We're positioned. Anything, Lord, whatever. It is for us one of the most powerful images of the dwelling place of God in Isaiah 6. This one man is taken there. Its impact is such that he is terrified and it would affect him for the rest of his life. And we are given a glimpse of this place because I want to tell you this morning, it is where you and I are today seated in the realm of the Spirit. We are seated at the right hand of God, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, seated next to the throne of God, the place of blessing, and yet the place of fearsome presence of God. You're seated there, church. That is where you are seated. We read in Ephesians 2, he seated us there. Psalm 11.4 says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. Come on. The throne, excuse me, the throne room of God is in heaven in his temple. Matthew 6.9 Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. I want you to be absolutely certain in your heart today. When you gave your life to Jesus, your dwelling place in the Spirit instantly shifted. We will one day be with Him fully, but in the meantime we are both here and there. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And it is absolutely vital to know what this place is like. It is vital to the church what is happening there because once we know that, we can flow in the will of God by doing the God-type things that are currently occurring in that temple. All of heaven is around the throne crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the armies. And when we catch that revelation that we're seated there while we are here, it changes our whole perspective on what we carry on the inside of us. And it will change our values. You know, in our house, we have values. Pastor Ann and I have set certain values about our own house that we like to eat dinner together. That's a value. We don't sit in front of the TV to eat because we want to interact. We have those values. We have values that 
Respect and obedience is what we require. We don't allow certain things on TV. We have certain standards for our rooms to be kept tidy. The house is a place of love. But when those things are rebelled against, there are consequences. There are natural consequences that come. And I would be a bad parent if I didn't have those consequences to the, the obstruction of the values. You see, the home has values. It has requirements. It has standards. And you need to understand that we are positioned in the house of God. And there are certain values and certain standards that are happening there that should be happening here. Because we are positioned in the dwelling place of God. All sorts of activity and values and behaviors are going there. And it is up to understand, it is up to us to understand it and then flow with it. That we carry the value system of heaven. And that where we go, we should be releasing that same value system. And let me say this, in doing so, we will automatically fulfill the will of God. I want to take a journey this morning. Turn to Revelation chapter 4. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture. I love Scripture. I love the Word of God. It's living. It's active. Every time I open it, I come into a fresh revelation of who God is and what He's doing. Hallelujah. It is warm in here. Revelation 4 verse 2. Immediately. I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and someone was sitting on the throne and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance around the throne were 24 thrones and upon the thrones. I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Y'all, the picture here is crazy. It's wild. The first living creature, which was covered in eyes, front and behind, was like a lion. The second creature, like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne. And they will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, Lord, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. Another instance in Scripture where John is now taken into the throne room of God. There's 24 thrones. There's 24 elders pure with crowns. There's... 
Huge eruptions of noise. There's lightning. There's thunder. There's fire. There's the seven spirits of God. There's four creatures full of eyeballs all around their heads. I mean, the picture is terrifying. There's other magnificent creatures. It goes back and it describes those four living creatures with their wings and their eyes who are constantly in worship. It's clearly reflective back to Isaiah 6, the comparison there of holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The living creature's praise motivates an eruption of worship. And what is all of this showing us? Why am I talking about this? Because it is declaring to us that the place where we are seated is a place of great activity. It's a place of great worship. It is flowing out from which is the fire of God, the anointings of God, the seven spirits of God. The holiness, the purity is all characteristic of this throne room. And it is showing to us that the culture and the values of God's house are such things as anointing, as worship, as the flow of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing of the fire of God, the rulership and the authority. This is the value system of heaven. Do you get it this morning? And if that is where we are seated, that is what should be flowing out of our life. The anointing should be flowing out of our life. Worship should be a priority. I have an issue when people say, oh, I don't really care for worship. How could you come into the presence of the Almighty God, get saved by the King of Kings and not love worship? Worship should be our lifestyle if we are seated there. Now, not everyone's going to worship the same way. Not everyone's going to sing the same way. But let me tell you, adoration of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords should be a primary function of our life with Him. Ruth Ward Heflin used to say, praise until the spirit of worship comes and worship until the glory comes. I make it a practice in my own life before I ever pray, before I ever utter a word of, of, of asking for anything, I come into his presence with praise. I enter his courts with thanksgiving. I come before him and I thank him for what he's already done. I give him adoration and then all of a sudden I can feel the shift from praise into worship. And I begin to worship this great king. I begin to worship the Lord of Lords. And I'm caught up into a moment of, of personal worship with him. And I, I get lost in his beauty. I get lost in his glory. I get lost in my adoration of this great king of kings. And then all of a sudden everything that I was going to pray about is gone. I no longer even think about all of my needs, all of my lists, because I'm so enraptured with the King of Kings. And I want to tell you this morning, the reason some of you are so stuck in your problems is you've never been enraptured with His presence. See, there are people who preach there's a rapture coming. Let me tell you, I'm raptured every day by the presence of God. I'm caught up by the presence of God. I'm not waiting for a rapture because I've already been raptured into His presence. I've already been caught up into His presence. Now, we could get into a whole debate about eschatology, but I think the reason people are so stuck in sin, so stuck in their issues, is because they're waiting for a rapture when they have an opportunity to be raptured now. Hallelujah. In this picture, God is showing us the values of Christian lifestyle that we must take into our own. It is in contrast to much of the church today where worship is just a few songs that we sing. Now, are we limited here at the Equipping Church because we have videos? Yes, we're a little limited. 
Would I love to do something different with worship? You better believe it. Because my life is worship. I live in a place of worship. I can't help it because I've met him. I've known him and I'm caught up in him. I'm caught up in his presence. I I can't get enough of his presence. We've lived in a place where we have created greasy grace where sin is just okay. Just live however you want. There's grace. That is heresy at its finest. It is a fearful thing to come into the presence of the living God. We've come into a place in our modern Christianity where the exercise of rulership and authority is non-existent so demons have their own way in the lives of believers. And we give them names and we give them conditions and we make them lifelong ailments. And we live so limited because we've compromised. But we, I want to say to you this morning, we've been taken into this place. We've been seated with Christ in heavenly places of tremendous spiritual activity and in fact are called to be representatives of values and characteristics of the throne room of God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. An ambassador being a representative of their country of origin, holding to the values, the lifestyles, and the requirements of the nation. There are certain things when you're an ambassador that you just can't do because it would reflect badly on your country of origin. There are certain behaviors that you can't have. There are certain representations of the kingdom. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, does my life represent the kingdom that I'm called to represent? If someone were to meet me on the street, would they know that I'm an an ambassador? of the heavenly realms? Would they know that I'm an ambassador of the throne room of God? Would they know that? Or do I look like everybody else? Do I behave like everybody else? When I went to uh, New Zealand for the first time in 2017, Brenton Douglas gave me a clue on what I needed to do when I came amongst the native people. That there were certain behaviors that if I did them, I would insult them. And so I had to operate in a certain manner because I wanted to honor their culture. I wanted to honor the people of the land. And so I had to learn these things. And there are things that I believe we do as believers in the presence of a holy God that are contrary to the culture of heaven. Now, I could go on a tirade this morning, but let me say that no matter which way I slice it, it would come across as legalism. So let me say to you this this morning. I don't need to give you a list of do's and don'ts. I don't need to tell you all the lists because here's what I know. When you come into the presence of a holy God, He'll convict you of the things that you need to deal with. He'll convict you of the things that you shouldn't be doing. I could tell you don't do this and don't do that. You know, I had a great aunt who was convicted. Her conviction was she shouldn't wear makeup. Well, I know people who say if the barn needs paint, paint it. Hallelujah. So whatever your conviction is. Now, are there things that are sin and need to be called as sin based on Scripture? Yes, absolutely. And I think we've allowed too many gray areas in the church at times. If you're not married, you shouldn't be having sex. That's Scripture. We need to be clear about it. 
We need to be clear. Homosexuality is a sin. But let me also say this. Some people are so up in arms about a homosexual when they're sleeping with their girlfriend. Sin is sin is sin is sin. And so let's get rid of the log in our own eye before we try to pull the speck out of someone else's eye. Now, are we called to remove the speck? Yes. But you better make sure you don't have a log in your eye. You need to deal with the things in your life before you begin to execute judgment on someone else's life. But sin is sin, and we need to deal with the sin in our lives so that we can come into the presence of a holy God. So that we can be like Isaiah and say, I'm a man ruined by the presence of God. Our nation is heaven. Our values are forged in the throne room of heaven. And surely that must impact how we live today. It must impact how we live today. See, we have a culture and we see it so often with preachers who refuse to preach Scripture. They just want to preach their own private revelation. They just want to preach their own opinions and things. And we must get back to the Word of God. It must be the foundation of everything that we do. Because we are called to be ambassadors of that throne room. Let me tell you, God will deal with sin in your life. And that's why I don't spend a whole lot of time preaching about what you need to do and don't do. Because I trust that the Holy Ghost who is on the inside of you, if you're a born-again believer, He will convict you of sin. I don't need to preach every message on sin. I need to preach Jesus and Him crucified because what I've come to know is that if I can get you to have a love encounter with Jesus, if I can get you to get caught up in Him, He'll sort out the sin. I don't need to preach hellfire and brimstone every time. Are there times where God has moved on me to preach hellfire and brimstone? You better believe it. I've had those moments where God said, preach hard, preach directly, and I've done it because I need to obey what He says. But what I have found most often is that evangelism in its purest form is introducing someone to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Introducing them to the great God who rescued them, who saved them, who delivered them while they were still sinners. So we need to catch hold of that revelation this morning. Isaiah comes into the throne room. John comes into the throne room. See, I'm stirred because what I have found is that when I have that revelation, I was talking with a couple years ago who wanted to get married and they were living together and they, they were having sex. And I said to them, I'm not going to do your wedding. Well, why not? Because you need to separate and come into the covenant holy. You've got to start the covenant holy. And they couldn't get it. They just, but we're already in covenant because we've had sex. No, every covenant in scripture was executed publicly. And that's why we have marriage ceremonies. That's why we do those things because it is a public declaration of covenant. And so I counseled through with them. And finally, the Holy, I said, listen, I can't force you to agree with what I'm saying. You've got to have a revelation from the Holy Ghost. You've got to be willing to lay your heart on the altar. And two weeks later, they gave me a call and they said, 
listen, I'm going to move in with my mom. I'm going to go live with my mom until the wedding. Will you do the wedding? I said, you better believe I will. You've gotten it under the blood. You've got it in right standing with God. But no matter how hard I preached to them about it being sin, they had to catch the revelation. See, we can preach sin, 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 sin. It's not going to work. Jesus was constantly pointing back to the Father. The only people he rebuked were the religious ones trying to preach sin to everybody. We got to catch that this morning. That one's free. That's not in the notes. See, in the throne room, not only is there worship, but there is fire, and there is thunder, and there is lightning. And we are called to be ambassadors of that throne room. You see, the church is actually meant to be a picture of what heaven is really like. The early church in Acts had it. That's why Ananias and Sapphira came into the church and bam, died because they lied. How devoid of holiness have we become that we have a whole generation that don't even experience the presence of God during worship? See, it's a morning where I'm preaching hard. You just... I don't know what else to say. People should be able to look at the church and see the values of heaven and the values of the throne of God. We are His representatives on earth. People should be able to look at the church and go, I love Jesus more because of the church. Not, I love Pastor Jacob more. Listen, if you're here for me, you're here for the wrong reasons. Yes, God has set me as the under-shepherd of this church. Yes, He's called me to be a prophet to this church. I'm the leader here. But if you're here to serve me, you are in wrong standing with God. You should be here to serve God as I serve God. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, and we have, a, uh, we have too many celebrity preachers who people are following the celebrity of the preacher and not following the Spirit of God. And it's dangerous, and I believe God is dealing with it. But God will deal with it in the right way. Let me say, the way that Hillsong is being handled right now, I'm going to say it publicly because it needs to be said, the way that Brian and Bobby Houston have been handled is disrespectful, it's dishonoring, and it's disgusting. The way that the church is handling leaders in crisis. And I think for too long, the reason why we've had such a celebrity culture is because we don't actually handle sin the right way. We don't have the goal of restoration. We only have the goal of exposing. The condemnation of Noah's son was that he exposed his father. The other two backed in to cover his nakedness and how we deal with sin. So let me say that clearly this morning. We need to deal with sin, but we need to do it in such a way that we don't expose people, but we actually restore them to right standing with God. That's what Scripture says to do. Now, are there different consequences for different sin? Yes. If someone's a child abuser and I'm going to make them a children's pastor? No. That's just not even wisdom. But am I going to throw them out? No, we're going to restore them. Now, if they're unrepentant, that's another thing. So we have to follow Scripture in how we deal with sin. But I think for too long, we've done two things. We've ever been so extreme in how we deal with people's sin that we just toss them in the garbage or we avoid it altogether. And so then, years later, we find out, oh my gosh, that was going on this whole time? Yeah, because it wasn't dealt with properly. That, that's free. We are Christ's representatives on earth. 
just like when one comes into our home or meets our children, it's expected that we will behave according to the Biswell values. The Biswells have values. Jesus is the cornerstone of our whole life. Everything we do is based on that value system. So there's certain things we won't watch. There's certain things we won't do. God convicted me years ago of alcohol in our home. We got rid of it because I couldn't handle it. That was my conviction. And I dealt with it. There are values we have in our home that we live by. And so it is to be in the family of God. Take one example of this worship. It's a value of the throne room of God. We see it in all of these scriptures that we've examined this morning. Worship was a value led by the living creatures. There was an eruption of worship. Our corporate gatherings should have the eruption of worship because that's heaven's value system. That's what's happening in heaven. And so we, taking on the culture of worship, highly value the connection of worship. That's why I'm saying to God all the time, God, send me a worship team. Because I believe that that is a value we carry as a house. So that's why we pick the songs that we pick, because we want to value worship. It's a central cultural expression of this house that we want to worship. There was one time I was ministering in a conference. And I'm telling you, worship just went to this level. And for an hour and a half, there was no English. There was no, we just got caught up in worship. Didn't lay hands on anybody. Didn't preach, didn't prophesy. We just got caught up in, in worship. You know what happened in that meeting? We had seven people with cancer instantly healed. Instantly. Seven people. Well, how do you know they were healed of cancer? Well, because the first woman had cancer all over her face. And it all fell off and her face was recreated. It was, tend- it was physical. It wasn't just, oh, I think I'm healed. No, we knew. We had a man who was missing his pinky finger. And his pinky finger grew back. Just in the glory. Because that's what happens in the presence of God. When we value worship, when we make Him the center point of our lives. Things like that happen. I'm telling you that in this hour, we've got to embrace the throne room culture. How can we compromise worship for the sake of making church comfortable when the very culture of God is one of worship? We're going to look at one more passage this morning. Turn over in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all the tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches. It's Palm Sunday. Were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
Then one of the elders responded, saying to me, Those who are clothed in the white robes, who are they, and where have they come from? I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will no longer hunger nor thirst, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes come on somebody here they all are again the elders the living creatures the angels but now added to their number a great multitude from the nations and what do we see an eruption of worship a culture of purity a place of great peace and healing. Have you understood what God is seeking to do here you see John told us about the importance of this all the way back in Revelation 1, he says, Blessed is he who reads and the who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. So many people want to preach the book of Revelation as some apocalyptic, and it is apocalyptic in nature. It is talking about the end times, and we could go into a whole eschatological end times, theological uh, discussion and discourse on it, but ultimately it is not the revelation of the end times. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what revelation is all about. It is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we capture that, that it is describing to us who is Jesus. It is describing to us who is the Lamb seated on the throne. It is describing to us the culture of heaven, that the culture of heaven is that of worship. And I believe that God wants us to catch a glimpse of the responsibility of being seated with Christ in heavenly places. As I start to wrap this series up this morning, ultimately... We have talked about the blessings and the impact of what Ephesians talks about. But today, overriding all that is the greater purpose of Ephesians is to call us, you and me, to live a greater lifestyle, a greater value system, to become a living picture of what heaven is really like. So that all who see, would fear and yet understand the true nature and the character of God. I want to end this series with this scripture. Acts 5, 11 and 13. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. May God so instill in our hearts such awe of why He created the church. Why He seated us with Him in heavenly places, that the church of today would similarly be a place where people would not dare associate with the church unless they are right with God. Friends, we are ambassadors 
of heaven. May we be the church that those who come in contact with us would know I can't stay the same. I've come into the presence of the Almighty and I can't be the same. I've been transformed by His presence. I've experienced the glory of the one who sits on the throne. And because of that, I've adopted his value systems. If I look like the world, if I talk like the world, if I live like the world, why do they want what I have? If I'm bound up in the same things they're bound up, why can I offer them freedom? But I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. And I want to serve a meal to a hungry world that needs to know that God is good. He's good. He's gooder than good. And the world needs that goodness. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads man to repentance. This morning, I want to speak to two groups of people. The first group, you're far from Him this morning. You've never come into Him. You've never made Him Lord of your life. You might be in the room or watching by live stream this morning. Or perhaps at one time in your life, you were close to Him, but you would say this morning, I'm far from Him. I'm not living the culture of heaven in my life right now. If either of those two fit you, you're the first group that I want to speak to this morning. You're far from Him. You've never made a decision to follow Him. Or at one time in your life, you are following Him, but you've strayed from that path. If that's you, Hector and Susanna are going to come stand right over here. If that's you this morning and you're saying, I'm far from Him, either I've always been far or right now in my life I'm far from Him. If that's you this morning, just a moment, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. Jesus looked at His disciples when He first called them. He said, come, follow me. This morning I'm going to ask you to come and follow Him. And in doing so, you're going to come and you're going to meet with Hector and Susanna. They're going to pray with you. And you're going to choose to follow them. If that's you this morning, I want you to come. If that's you, I want you to come and meet with Hector and Susanna. If you'll just come up here, Hector and Susanna, give them some room. Come on, church. These are brothers and sisters that we want to stand. Let's stand this morning and stretch our hands. They're making a decision this morning. They're making a decision to follow Him this morning. Just just bring them up a little bit closer. Church, stretch your hands towards them. Now I want to speak directly to you this morning as we're standing here. The decision to follow Christ is the greatest decision you've ever made. And if you're far from Him this morning, He's about to bring you close that today you're making a decision that you're going to surrender all and you're going to follow Him wholeheartedly. 
I used to do the thing where every head was bowed and every eye closed. But this is what I know is that with every eye open, they can see you. And this church, they're going to help you walk it out. We're going to walk alongside of you. And we're going to help you follow him this morning. So church, you're making a commitment this morning with your hands stretched towards them that you're going to walk with them and you're going to help them on this path because you once were where they are. And in just a moment, we're going to pray collectively with you. And we're going to repent. Repent means two things. Turn directions and change your mind. This morning, you're turning directions and you're changing your mind about your life. And you're choosing to follow Him. We're going to repent and we're going to commit. We're going to commit to following Him. Amen? You ready to pray? Hector and Susanna, lay hands on them. Church, let's pray with them. Lord Jesus, today I repent of my sin and I choose to submit my life to the values of heaven. I will follow you with all that's in me. And I trust that your grace is sufficient for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingchurch.us.